0: Thanks, guys. Uh, Did you actually sort of see then how we sung that last song and just the truth actually gets our focus there? Some of those words? What is it that makes us white as snow? It's not my efforts. It's not all the good things I've done. It's actually telling us and reminding us and getting our focus there. What makes me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Christ. Nothing by his life and death uh, and his uh, life shed for us at the cross. So that's just a great way that, that singing gets our focus thinking right. It's a great thing to do. Okay, we are at the last um, of our parables. We've been looking at parables uh, through the month of January. I want to thank Ben last week who um, shared a parable for us uh, from the Old Testament, second book of Kings. I really appreciate that, Ben, for uh, doing that for us, mate. Um, so today uh, we're going to take our last one from the, uh, from the book of Luke, once I start up my thing. There it is. And I heard this story a couple of years ago, and um, it really uh, sort of illustrated a point to me at the time and, and really encouraged me as well. Uh, and this is a story of a, of a persistent praying grandfather. Uh, he was a godly man who loved Christ and de- devoted his life to Jesus. He was also a man devoted to and believed in thoroughly in prayer. He was a man who just uh, loved to pray and to pray consistently and persistently. Daily, he would make time and come before the Lord in prayer. He knew the world that his grandchildren were growing up in was a desperately evil and deceptive world. So he prayed for their salvation every day. He could see the challenges of this world and he was committed to praying for his grandchildren every day. Uh, This man went to his grave with all of his grandkids following Jesus, except one. Except one. One 15-year-old young man had shown no interest in Christ through uh, the the life of his grandfather, even though he prayed every day uh, for him. On the day of his grandfather's burial, the 15-year-old watched as they lowered the coffin into the ground of this praying grandfather. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit shot an arrow through the heart of that young man. Right at the moment, as the coffin was being lowered into the ground, the Holy Spirit shot an arrow right through the heart of that young man. He was miraculously saved and has followed Jesus uh, every day since then. It was just a great picture here of powerful, persistent praying. He's a grandfather who prayed and prayed and prayed. And even the last one of his uh, grandchildren was saved on the day of his burial. Persistent praying is a powerful practice that Jesus calls us to. It really is. Uh, Turn with your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, and uh, let us read here a parable that Jesus tells us about persistent praying. Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Uh, Father, we give you thanks and praise today that we can come and open up your word. And we just pray right now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would begin to open up our eyes to the truth of what Christ is saying here, that this would not be just ink on pages, but it really would be what it is, the eternal living word of God. We ask now, Spirit, spirit would come and uh, emblazon and burn this truth upon our heart about not losing heart and ought always to be praying. We ask that now for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. So we have been looking at parables the last few weeks in January. We did one a few weeks ago with the different types of soil in relating to how we hear the gospel and our response to the gospel. Uh, We saw also, uh, just after that, we saw that resounding joy in heaven when one sinner repents. The joy that sort of goes on and on when the lost hear the gospel and they are found. And we we got a sense there that heaven is in a continual celebration. Because every day, nearly every moment of every day, the lost are being found and there is a continual uh, celebration taking place in heaven as that takes place. And then week, we saw through Ben's parable there that God's sovereign purposes do take place despite what's happening around about us uh, in the world and all of its difficult um, circumstances. Today, this parable is directed towards Christian living prayer, which is so important in the life of a believer. If we want to see people get saved, we need to pray. If we want to see joy take place in heaven, when the, the lost are found, we want, we want to pray about that. We want to see God's purposes take place. Amazingly, uh, God calls our prayers into a, a sovereign role of seeing his will and purposes take place in this earth. So today we're going to look at this uh, parable here about prayer. The context here in this chapter of uh, Luke is we find Jesus in a part of his ministry where he's involved in quite a lot of teaching. He's going around teaching the people about the truth about God, which was one of the roles of Jesus. He was a teacher. And by doing this, he was training his disciples who were learning from him because he knew in time to come he would no longer be here. So he's preparing his disciples for when he wasn't going to be here so they could go on and teach others as well. Uh, and this parable just before it, that Jesus is teaching about the coming of his kingdom in the future. Uh, In the sense there that Jesus is talking about, it would would be a time of panic and confusion and fear for all those who weren't trusting in Jesus. And perhaps I can imagine the disciples at that particular time feeling a little bit dismayed somewhat when they hear about this future and they hear about the turmoil that will come to this world when Jesus returns. And just maybe, and often they did in the New Testament times, they thought maybe that Jesus would return in their lifetime. If you read the book of Thessalonians, some of them actually gave up their jobs there and thought, oh, we're just going to wait till Jesus returns. And Paul instructed them and said, no, 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 you keep working. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. But a lot of them did think he was going to come in that lifetime. So they're possibly feeling unsure of the future and how it may unfold before them. They can see through Jesus' teaching that the judgment of God is imminent, coming on a day when he will come and judge the world in righteousness. And, he, and they know, the disciples know, there will be unimaginable fear to those who aren't following Jesus. So Jesus tells them this parable here on persistent prayer to encourage them and to strengthen them. As they may have these feelings of uncertainty as they're thinking through what Jesus has taught them. It's important to see here that the Bible isn't just a randomly put together book. It's this parable sort of just plonked in the middle here out of nowhere. The Holy Spirit's inspired every word of this book and we can see how it fits together as we see Jesus here carefully teaching and training his disciples. So let's jump in. Let's see here what is in this parable for us today because just as it was spoken to those disciples 2,000 years ago, it's just as relevant today. Don't think, oh, that's from 2,000 years ago. Time's moved on from then. Uh, time has moved on, but the eternal word of God is timeless, it speaks to us today, just as I spoke to them 2,000 years ago. Right from the get-go, we know where Jesus is going in this parable. He puts it out there, front and centre, to let us know. In verse 1, he says, And he told them in a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Prayer is one of those primary disciplines of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we're not sure what prayer is. If you're a new believer... You might not know what prayer is. You might say, Todd, why ask such a simple question about what is prayer? I think sometimes we don't understand. I think sometimes people get hung up on what prayer is. You know, if I've got to go to some theological college somewhere and learn how to pray, is is that what it is? Prayer is simply talking to God. Simply talking to God. It's understanding who God is and who we are. That God is our sovereign creator and our Lord. And we are His creation. And if we get that relationship right, knowing that God is our sovereign creator and our Lord and we are His creation, it's as simple as speaking to God. It's a very, very simple thing to do. We can approach God through what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross. Jesus has paid the price of our sin that absolutely separated us from God, actually made us an enemy to God. But by Christ's death on the cross, he's reconciled us and brought us back into a right relationship with God. So now we can humbly and simply approach God through prayer by what Jesus has done for us. Having said that, though, prayer is probably the most faith-filled exercise that we carry out as believers in Christ. We can't see God. God's in this room right now. God is here, but we can't see him physically with our eyes. We can't audibly hear him like you're able to hear me at this particular time. But he's here. So for the rational mind, to talking to somebody that we can't see or we can't hear would probably seem very crazy, wouldn't it? Someone could look in from those windows and see me with my eyes closed and there could be nobody in this room and I'm praying. And they might think, I hope he's all right in there. There's no one in that room. Who is he talking to? To the rational mind, it does seem crazy. It's very much a faith-filled exercise, incredibly faith-filled exercise that we carry out. But having said that also, it's amazing how people who may say they don't believe in God, if you were to see them on their deathbed, how often they'll cry out, God, save me. All of a sudden, prayer becomes a real thing for them. Just a a bit of a side note there. So prayer is a faith-filled discipline of humbly speaking to God, by the availability that Christ has made for us through the cross. But because prayer is probably the most faith-filled exercise, it can become the most difficult discipline we can carry out. It becomes very hard. That's why Jesus is saying here, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Why do we lose heart in prayer? Why do we give up? Why is it so that we so easily drop off in prayer and just give it up? Why is it when we advertise a free Sunday lunch at church that you'll get full attendance, but as soon as you advertise a prayer meeting, 80% don't turn up? Why is it that people can sort of do all right at Bible reading, but when it comes to prayer, it just falls flat? Why is it when we're in a difficult spot in life, prayer can happen? I'm actually pushed up against a brick wall and I'm in a real spot and I'm praying. I'm praying. And as soon as I'm in the clear, oh, prayer stopped. Why does that happen? Why do we lose heart in prayer? Let me throw up maybe a few suggestions and see where they might land out there somewhere. Maybe I've lost my convictions or belief in prayer. You know, I've just lost sight of the fact of who we are praying to our gracious creator. We don't fully believe in who we are praying to. Our conviction maybe isn't that God is intimately involved in our lives anymore. God just doesn't seem to be involved because I seem to be going from one sort of problem to another problem. I can't see God. I can't hear him. I seem to be all on my own here doing things on my own strength. It can appear like that. And then sometimes our conviction and our faith and our belief in prayer just begins to fall away. I've lost sight of that and we lose heart. Maybe I'm not patient in prayer. I'm praying about things, but nothing seems to be happening. I've been praying about things, not me personally, but you or anybody could be praying about this particular need for months and months and months, but nothing's happening. And you say in your own mind, Lord, how much longer? How much longer must I keep on praying about the same thing? And when the months tick by and nothing has happened, we become impatient. We become impatient and we start to say, well, what's the use? What's the use to keep on praying? I don't even think you're there, Lord, and I can't get any answers from you. Or when I do pray, sometimes the very opposite is happening to what I'm praying for. I'm praying for this friendship to actually get better. I feel like I'm estranged from this person. I'm praying for this friendship to get better and it's taking a turn for the worse. When that happens, sometimes we get impatient and we lose heart in praying and we just give it up. Sometimes we're just lazy when it comes to prayer. You know, I'm just not a disciplined person. I would much rather read a good book than pray. I get far more pleasure, not me personally, out of doing a cross-stitch than praying actually I'd much much rather get on Google YouTube and just watch video after video of YouTube, I'd much rather do that you know I just couldn't be bothered to get in my car to drive across to the prayer meeting and actually join with other brothers and sisters in Christ just couldn't be bothered sometimes we're just lazy we just don't put in the effort that's required to pray Another reason, Satan distracts us in prayer. It's one of his chief aims. Satan knows that a praying Christian is a very powerful Christian. He understands that the Christian who's praying has tapped into uh, the flow of grace and strength into his life. And Satan hates to see us praying. Uh, I don't know if any of you have read the the book, The Screwtape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis. I'd encourage you to read that book. It's a book about uh, a senior devil talking to a junior devil and sort of how to actually get under the skin of a believer. And here in this book, uh, this senior devil tells a junior devil this thing. He says this, The best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient from the serious intention of praying altogether. Now, it's a fictitious book. It's C.S. Lewis just imagining what's happening, but very, very close to the truth, I believe. The devil knows that. A praying Christian, he needs to keep away from prayer. How does Satan do this? I think he blinds us to the massive need that's around about us at times. When we don't see the vast masses of unsaved people around about us, and when we don't see that they are bound to hell for eternity because they are without Christ, when we don't see that, when Satan comes in and blinds us from that, we don't pray. We don't see that need. We've lost sight of this incredible dilemma that is around about us, even though we are living right amongst it. Satan can blind us in other ways as well. He can blind us from seeing God's grace and power that he gives to us through prayer. Satan whispers in our ear in those times, look, you can work this out yourself. You've got to learn to stand on your own two feet now. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You, get, you can do this on your own. now. You don't need to actually get any other help. He won't directly say to us, don't pray, but he'll do everything else by steering us away from prayer. you can do this on your own strength. You don't need any other help from somewhere else. Satan can subtly deceive us and keep us away from God's power through prayer. And he does this. And when that happens, we lose heart and we give up on prayer. And so Jesus knows his disciples what he's talking to now. And he knows they will face all of those things and more particularly as they're thinking about maybe this end-time teaching and what will happen. So he wants to stir them here not to lose heart in prayer, not to give up. And in the face of that not losing heart, he then urges them that they ought always to pray, persistent prayer. And this is where Jesus begins to open up here this story of the persistent widow. And you see here in verse 3, this word that Jesus uses here, kept coming to him. And then in verse 5, the judge says, This widow keeps bothering me. And in verse 5 again, Beat me down by her continual coming. There's something that Jesus is emphasising here as he opens up this story and this parable to us. If we think about the widow and Jesus today, they were very vulnerable and they were easy pickings for more powerful people to rip them off and take advantage of them. And they seldom got listened to by anybody in their day. They were very marginalised. So if that was the case for a widow who's been hard done by unjustly, she'd have to be very, very, very persistent before any type of judge to get justice. And the picture we get here of Jesus talking about this widow in that day is this. It's a persistent, consistent coming before this uncaring judge. Because Jesus already described him, he doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about man. Not a very uncaring judge at all. So this widow comes and says, Judge, I've been robbed. We know who's done it, but there's no justice. He's not brought to justice. And she comes back again the next day, and she sees the judge again, and he ignores her again. And she's down the street in the local village, and she sees the judge again, and she says, Judge, I need to get justice. And the very next day, he's on the front door, she's on the front doorstep of his office. Judge, I need to get Justice. Jesus is giving this picture of this continual, this coming, this persistence. For this woman, she knows her future is at stake. She becomes desperate in coming before this judge to get justice. And this is Jesus' whole point here as he illustrates this with this story. Persistent prayer, unrelenting prayer, immovable prayer, desperately committed in prayer and unshakable in prayer. Jesus is trying to build a very vivid picture here for us to see. And he's calling his disciples to not let anything stop them from praying. Don't lose heart. Don't be distracted from prayer. Don't let one thing keep you or stop you from being resolutely committed in prayer. Why is Jesus saying this so strong? Why is he emphasizing this point here of persistence and a commitment to a point of desperation. As this widow would have been desperately here coming to this judge. Why is Jesus wanting us to be so committed to prayer? Because Jesus knows there's so much to be gained in Him through prayer. So much that we just actually don't see at times. Jesus wants us to see through prayer that we are absolutely dependent on Him. That's what He wants us to see. John 15 teaches us this. Jesus says this in verse 5 I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Very vivid words here that Jesus says. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus remarkably uses committed prayer to teach us that we are totally dependent on him for everything. Everything. Now much of us many of us probably didn 't have a really good sleep last night, but if you did have any sleep at all it 's only because Jesus granted you sleep. we can 't do anything without jesus i can 't sleep without Jesus. In fact, the very fact that i 'm alive now is because of Jesus. He gives me every breath and as we remain committed in prayer, our relationship with Jesus deepens, and we see more and more each day that I am totally dependent on him that 's what prayer does as we get into committed persistent praying. We actually begin to see clearer and clearer, I'm totally dependent on Jesus. And prayer begins to open up my eyes to see that. And incredibly, as you pray like that, and as you see that, Jesus becomes sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Because I can't do anything without him. And remarkably, through prayer, I begin to see that and recognize that. Jesus wants us to pray because he knows that through relentless prayer we are changed and transformed. This is why he's committing us and encouraging us to persistent praying. I've learned this from experience time and time again. I pretty well learn this, I reckon, every day. That Jesus changes me and transforms me through prayer. Now, when I'm struggling in my marriage with Laurel, and you're all thinking, what? I thought you had a good marriage. Everybody struggles in their marriage, okay? Everybody does. When I'm struggling in my marriage with Laurel and I start to pray about it genuinely, the Spirit changes me within my own heart. Or if I'm struggling with a relationship with somebody else, wherever it might be, the Holy Spirit does a work within me as I begin to pray about that first. It's remarkable how that happens. You know, when you've had that disagreement and you've got those feelings of anger or discontent beginning to rise up, or those feelings of um, uh, offence or disrespect, and you can feel your reactions beginning to rise up with inside of you, and your reactions are generally some sort of evil or anger or hurtful words that are just just sort of come together in your mind as you as you face that. When I pray about that and I humbly come before the Lord and I actually pour that out before Him. It's incredible. It really is. You can begin to sense yourself soften. You can sense the Holy Spirit working in your life as you pray to soften those responses. And you can sense the Holy Spirit beginning to reveal within you your sinful reactions, your sinful thoughts. And you can begin to just become humble through that as God reveals that so gloriously in your life. You can sense and experience this grace flowing through you. And your heart softens. The Spirit of God is changing you through this incredible medium called prayer. Here's why Jesus is doing that. He's encouraging us to persist in prayer because he knows that through prayer, we are changed. We are transformed by his grace. And I guarantee you, you will experience that as you lock yourself into persistent and consistent praying and uh, see that change take place. Consistent prayer helps me also to see regularly that I am weak and Jesus is strong. I am weak and Jesus is strong. The more I pray, the more I actually see that and sense that in my life. We all like to think we are the self-made person. We've got it all together, generally when we're all going well. But that's not the case. Prayer helps me to see that basically all the situations in life that I'm involved in are out of my control. They really, really are if we think about it. And therefore, I'm very weak and I'm in no position of power at all. You may have a family situation. You feel like I'm just not getting on top of things in my family and they're just sort of running rings around me and the places are becoming a riot. So then you might think, well, I'll just go in there with a bit of huff and puff and I'll just sort of, you know, show my guns or something like that. And everybody will just, you know, jump to attention. You know, I'll, I'll exert my power there or something like that. You you might get some attention, but it probably is cowering, fearful obedience. That's what it is. It won't be sort of the attention you really want or the respect you really want. And what's happening is you're just realising, actually, this stuff's out of control around about me. I'm really quite weak in this situation. Prayer teaches me to see God's power working in other people's lives will do far more than I ever could by showing my guns. That'll get me some response. But as I pray... God can work in those lives and actually see that change take place. And it shows me there when I'm praying consistently that I really am weak and God really is all powerful. Jesus also wants us to pray persistently so that we will know his joy in our lives. It's an incredible blessing that we get from prayer. For those of you familiar with the Old Testament, uh, Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. He was doing this under great opposition great distress. God had called him back to rebuild the ruins of Jerusalem. And uh, he was under intense opposition from all these people who just didn't want to see these walls go back up again. So what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. He prayed that God would give him protection and strength to carry on with the task of rebuilding the walls. And he did. The opposition remained, but God protected and strengthened Nehemiah and the rest of those people as they rebuilt those walls. And through that, through that as they pray they experience great joy when they saw God working on their behalf and that is a great aspect of prayer that we can all experience we can see the joy of God working in lives particularly our own or others or in other situations and we can see God actually pulling those loose threads together and forming a nice beautiful garment and we get joy out of that it's a great joy and it's a deep joy through consistent praying, through persistent prayer, through, un, uh, through unrelenting prayer, Jesus makes an avenue of joy towards us and we see his spirit work in us uh, and do great things. Here's another one. Jesus wants us to pray consistently because in a corporate sense he builds incredible unity there. When a church is praying together, It it grows amazing unity around Jesus Christ. It really, really does. This, again, I've experienced on countless times. When we gather to pray and we hear somebody's heart in prayer, like it could be the anguish over an unsaved husband or an unsaved wife or an unsaved child, when we hear their pain, when we see their burden as they express that through prayer, we can't help, as we are gathered around that person, enter into them with that. It just happens as the body of Christ. We begin to feel their hurt. We begin to feel their pain. We begin to feel their anguish. We become brothers and sisters who share all of that together. And there's nothing like a community gathering together in prayer that really does grow that sense of unity. It happens amazingly. People you don't know much about, you come along and you spend a few prayer meetings with them, you discover some stuff, and you actually sense a, a, a deeper relationship, a deeper bonding to these people. It's because you've actually opened up in prayer with them. And I can tell you, I'll guarantee you, if you come genuinely to pray with others and you're able to share some of that pain or that grief in your life, God will bless you with comfort. God will bless you with strength as you come together and corporately pray. You will receive grace in that time of need. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll guarantee that. If you come genuinely and begin to share your heart as much as you're able to at that particular time with another group of people, you will come away feeling so glad that you have and you'll come away feeling comforted by Christ because you've actually done that together and you will grow unity and community together as a group of believers. You really, really will. Okay, as we finish off this passage here, Jesus gives us confidence here for this long-haul praying. Verses 7 8 here of, uh, of this parable. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, Jesus says, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? God isn't like the unjust judge in this story, who neither feared God or couldn't care less about mankind. That's not God. God is the perfect judge. He looks with favour and delight upon his people and he grants them justice speedily. Speedily. Now, don't be confused there by the word speedily. Sometimes we can look at that and say, good, I'll see an answer to my prayer really quick. It'll be like the 100 metre sprint. I'll get that answer back in no time. It doesn't mean that we will see God's answers to our prayers immediately by the word speedily. What this means when Jesus is saying uh, he'll grant them justice speedily is this. God answers our prayers immediately. Immediately. Or speedily, he answers them. And then in his perfect timing, we see how he has answered them. That timing may be very quick. It may be very instant. That timing may be very delayed. Or we may never see them answered. Just like the grandfather never saw that prayer of his answer for that last grandchild. That's how it is sometimes. We may see an immediate answer. We may see a delayed answer. We may never see an answer, but we will see what God knows is best for us in his perfect timing. God answers immediately. But we may not see that prayer answered ourselves for who knows how long. But we can rest in the confidence that God will answer our prayers for his glory and for our good. And we can trust in his absolute goodness towards us in prayer. How's it going to look then? How's this unshakable prayer going to look? How do we pray resolved, absolutely determined and resolved to stay the course and not lose heart? Where does it start? How does it happen? Well, firstly, we must commit ourselves to Christ and his strength. That's first base. You've got to start there. Committed to Christ and His strength, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we make a firm decision. We make a firm decision within ourselves to make this happen. The commitment of prayer has got to be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ and His desires to see us pray for our good. We've got to be absolutely grounded in that. And then we make a decision. Practically speaking, we make a plan. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that saying before no one ever, fa- uh, no one ever plans to fail. They just fail to plan. You've got to make a plan. You've got to make a plan to pray. You won't find yourself one day sort of stepping out of the bed onto a magic carpet and being transported into a room and just all of a sudden find yourself there with your hands in the air and think, how did I get here? How did that happen? Prayer won't happen like that. Prayer won't happen like that. Sometimes we wish it may happen like that, But we won't be transported by the magic carpet to some nice, quiet, serene place by a creek with a few shady trees and find ourselves praying there. It just won't happen. We need to make a plan. We need to make room for prayer in our lives. It'll start like this. It'll be actually understanding who am I? Am I a morning person? Or am I an evening person? Are my mornings hectic and crazy? And I just can't even wake up? Or is there a bit of space I can find in the morning where I can actually pray? Are my evenings just exhausting and tired and I'm actually at the end of myself and I can't even get my words to coherently come out? Or is there a better space where I can find time to pray in the evenings? What season of life am I in? Is it small kids that require lots of attention, like we've got a few families around here? That's a season with much difficulty... Or is it teenagers who require more attention than small kids of that age? What season am I in? There'll be all types of seasons you might find yourself in. Everybody will have a different story here, or a different season, or a different makeup. I'm a morning person, my wife's an evening person. We're different. The point is, the point is this you'll have to intentionally and purposely carve out some time for prayer. It won't happen on its own. You have to put a plan in place. You will have to cut something else out, carve out some time to make time for prayer. You'll have to possibly cut back on TV, cut back on Facebook or social media. You'll have to cut back on sport. You'll have to cut back on a hobby or a favourite pastime you love to do. I don't know what it might be. It could be any number of things there. But you'll have to carve some time out to make this plan fall into place. And it won't be easy. It really, really won't be easy. I need to tell you that to make that time. You might have a New Year's resolution. Maybe some of you did do that 27 or 8 days ago, whenever that was. Okay. And what happened when you had that? For three days you are in there. You were going this New Year's resolution. All of a sudden the powder ran out. And there was no more power left in the cannon. It just went poof in three days. And all of a sudden the resolution just fell over. Well, you might go seven days. And you've lost all the bang from the cannon. You just can't keep it up. Because you know what will happen once you get into that phase of, okay, I've made a plan. I've put this in place. I've cut some time out. I'm going to do this. It's just amazing how quickly Google comes back and says, please come and search me. Google will. It'll say that. Facebook will come and talk to you. You don't realize that how much stuff you're missing out on Facebook. It'll start speaking to you. The shed will talk to you. That project has been sitting out there for so long. You need to come out and get back onto that project again. The exercise bike will talk to you. I'm getting very rusty over here. All these things will begin to speak into your head. They will. They'll they'll come and they'll make it difficult. They'll say things to you. The TV will speak to you without it even being turned on. MKR starting on Monday night, I've got to watch that. These things will begin to speak to us. They will. They'll just think, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to be here, I've got to go there. Everything will begin to just come and just fill us. Satan will be working in overtime in all of his deceptive powers to keep us away from prayer as well. He will flood our head with all these mind-numbing pursuits that will be pleasurable to the nth degree. There'll be nothing wrong with them. I could get on there and I'm going to plan my bucket list dream holiday that I can't afford, but I'm going to plan it anyway. And I'm going to spend hours searching the internet, just looking at motels and looking at destinations, and I'm going to do it again the next day. And I'm thinking, "Gee, where's the morning gone?" Whole morning gone. I've just spent three hours in this dream holiday bucket list thing I can't even afford. And you'll love searching that holiday, you'll love it. And there's nothing wrong with it. But then you look back and say, I haven't prayed for a week. And then you look back and say, Gee, I've spent a lot of time on this holiday. It's amazing how Satan just quietly draws us away, distracts us. We will need to be armed with all the blessings of unrelenting prayer to go into battle against losing heart in prayer. We'll have to arm ourselves with these things. We have to put a focus on Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, resting in His goodness that we will experience delight as He works on our behalf through prayer, seeing our character change, seeing our relationships be enhanced as we are sustained by Him for this long haul in prayer. See, Jesus said we must always pray and not lose heart. This is my prayer today, that you and I, Exchange Church, will become a praying people, a praying church, a church, a body of people praying individually and praying corporately, praying for a revival of the gospel in our hearts. Praying for the convictions of our faith to grow deeply and resolutely within us. And as we see these clear convictions, it will impel us and empower us to pray. Praying for revival here amongst the greater shepherd and community. Starting within our own families. Unsaved loved ones who are lost. Praying that God will come and break into their heart and uh, reveal Jesus Christ to them. This is my prayer for myself and for the church. We become a praying church that we resolutely put a plan in place, and we commit ourselves to prayer, and we see God glorified and moving generously in and through our lives as we do that. Now, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you've you've actually had a real crack at this, and maybe it's just fallen off. Maybe actually, I've never really prayed. I yeah, you know, I hear the person up the front praying Sunday morning. That's about it. I, you could be anywhere in that spectrum. Or maybe you are regularly praying now and you're committed to it. Praise God. Wherever you are, be rekindled, be re-energised, be encouraged. As Jesus speaks to us here, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Listen to Paul as, uh, in Colossians as he closes out for us. He says this to the Colossians as he finishes his letter to them. He says this, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Guys we've got to believe that today we've got to believe that and we've got to put that spirit empowered plan into place and see God honoured and glorified through our lives as we pray. Let me pray. Father thank you thank you today for this uh, parable Jesus thank you that you loved us so much just as you loved those disciples back then And, Lord, maybe there was all sorts of anxiety coming to their mind and all sorts of troubles and all sorts of challenges, and that, Lord, you pointed them to always pray and to not lose heart. Holy Spirit, we would ask and pray now that you would come and you would give us the power to pray. Give us the ability, Lord, to clear away all of these distractions. Give us the ability to see clearly this massive need that lies around about us. Give us the ability to see this glorious avenue of grace that you pour into our hearts and our lives that we get to speak to the creator of the universe, that he delights in us coming and speaking with him. Please, Spirit, we pray, give us fresh vision to see that. Give us the energy and the commitment and the zeal to carry this out. So when the distractions come, when Facebook calls, when the computer yells at me, when the sporting bag says, come and take out the tennis racket. Not that we give all those things up, but we don't give them the time we've committed to prayer. I pray, give us the strength to be resolute in those times, to put that plan into place and to carve out that space and to sit there with you, Lord, and to allow you to speak into our lives and change us and transform us. Lord, help us as a church to be committed to corporate prayer. Help us to rise above whatever other things we may have on the agenda at that time and be committed to coming together with other people to pray and to see us as a body of believers here grow in deep, strong unity around Christ through prayer. Father, today please renew us in this. And may we bring honour and glory and power to you as we pray. Lord, we ask that now, we pray that in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen. We're going to come around the communion table now. So if uh, Jamison and Tom could